Welcome to the Leadership Window Podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Jinks, Leadership and Strategy Coach and President of the Jinx Perspective. No intro music today, no outro music today, no guests, no gimmicks, no sound effects, no scripts, as a matter of fact. I've planned for some time to do this solo episode on the day after the election. And by the time many of you listen listen to this, who knows what day it will be. Could be a year from election of 2020. Could be a week. I don't know. Maybe some of you are listening as soon as it got posted and you saw it. But at the time of this recording, it is Wednesday evening and we still don't have a definitive answer as to who our president will be from 2021 on looks like we have an idea of where it's leaning, but we know there's going to be some legal challenges and who knows where that's going to turn out. So again, I don't know where it is by the time you're listening to this, but my intention was to plan a post election episode to put out a little bit of a personal perspective on leadership during this time and to put out a call to leaders for leadership during this time. One of my good friends, colleagues, Facebook friends, Liz Nilsson posted the other day on Facebook, something to the effect of our biggest decision will not be on Tuesday. Our biggest decision will be on Wednesday. How will we show up? How will we behave? How will we act? What example will we set for our children, for our families, for our neighborhoods, our churches, our synagogues, our mosques, our communities, our organizations, our businesses, our cities, our clubs? How will we show up. This is a podcast about leadership. So I make an assumption that at least most of the people that tune in are either leaders or aspiring leaders interested in the field of leadership. Most in some way are probably leaders formally and informally. So this is a call to you for personal accountability. Clearly, We are a divided country. Have always been a divided country. And it seems that each year that passes, we get maybe more and more divided. (laughs) The line between red and blue, for example, just becomes so extreme. There's a lot of toxicity in our country that is driven by politics. Here's the thing. We tend to blame others for the toxicity. But what's our role in the toxicity? What is our role in stopping the toxicity? I'd like for everyone to consider for a moment. You might make an argument about this. It's fine. We can debate it. But let's 
let's think for a minute on the concept that the president of the United States doesn't run the country. We do. You and I run the country. We set the tone. We establish the wealth, nurture the health, the tone, the culture, the respect, the commitments, the values. That's us. We really are a nation governed for the people, of the people, by the people. It's us. At a very minimum, we, we got ourselves to this point. Some of it's really good. Some of what we have in this country and who we are as a country is amazing. We did that. Some of what we do and have in this country is not so amazing. Not so good. We did that. We run the country. Someone, I think it was my civics teacher in the eighth grade, uh, is the first time I ever heard this. He said, all politics are local. And you've heard, most of you have heard that saying before, all politics are local. And the first time I heard it, I didn't understand it. In fact, I probably didn't really fully understand it until I was a, a working adult professional. But all politics are local. And yet we tend, even, even the most leaderly among us, sometimes tend to think that politics starts from the top down and that the tone of our country and everything that everything we are and are not and have and have not and do well and do poorly is all to be blamed on Washington or your state capital or our city council, the mayor. It's all we pin it on on someone else. But no, it's it's really about us. We make the decisions, we behave in the ways that we behave, and I still believe that most of the people in this country, not all, most of the people in this country want the same thing, but have different ideas about the best way to get it. We all want the best for everybody. Let's just, you know, make it very generic. We have a different idea about what that means and what that looks like. And Whichever side of the political line you fall, whether you voted blue or you voted red, for example, half the country disagrees with you. Let that sink in for a minute. As of, as of the recording of this podcast, I think, I think Joe Biden has a little over 70 million votes and, and Donald Trump has about 68, almost 69 million votes uh, across the country. That's, that's about half. Biden has more right now, but marginally, right? Minimally. Half the country is red. Half the country is blue. Literally, the states that each of them won are almost the same number of states. In fact, as of right this moment, they've both won exactly the same number of states. <laughs> So wherever you land, half of this country disagrees with you. And I'll go even deeper. The 70 million people that agree with you, they don't agree with you either. 
because they voted for who they voted for likely for a slightly different reason than you did. Some people vote because they like the way somebody looks. I know a real ignorant way to vote, but that's why some people vote. He's handsome or she looks leaderly, right? Some people vote because they've got generations of family history related and feel related to and identify with a political ideology in a party. Some people vote for who they voted for because they really feel strongly about maybe one specific issue that they feel like the other side threatens. Call it what you want. Immigration, healthcare, abortion, taxes, what, pick your issue. Many people vote because of one specific issue they care about. Some people voted for who they voted for because they have a personal experience with themselves or their families that goes very deep into their values or their purpose for voting a certain way. Some people vote the way they vote because CNN uh, swayed their opinions or they do whatever Fox news tells them or whatever. There's lots of reasons, good reasons, bad reasons, ill-informed, ill-advised, deep, meaningful significance. It doesn't matter. Half the people in this country don't agree with your ideology. Now, is there a righteous indignation? Yes, on both sides. There are values that we feel so strongly about that they're not political to us, right? They're more, they're deeper than that. They're more meaningful than that. I, I totally get that. I've got them. You've got them. But in this political environment, we make assumptions about who people are. And leaders know better than that. Leaders ought to know better than to make assumptions about who people are based on any single characteristic, including who they may or may not have voted for. Half the country thinks differently than you. And the half that voted the way you voted, they think differently than you too, by the way. Some people really struggled. Many, many people really struggled with who to pull the lever for. Now, some have known all along, no brainer. They, they preached it and tried to convince everybody else to vote the way they're going to vote. Some people really struggle with it because the reasons are different. The motivations are different. The backgrounds are different. I'm going to come back to that. Let me circle back around to the call that I'm making and the call out that I'm making for leaders is to assume personal accountability and responsibility for the tone and the culture of our world. Marshall Goldsmith is a world-renowned executive coach, one of the pioneers of executive coaching for the Center for Creative Leadership. A Harvard researcher, a multi New York Times bestseller of a number of different books and things. And so as a coach, you know, I'm a coaching nerd. He's a bit of a, of an icon. And, um, he's got some content on employee engagement that just says it so well, I've, I've stolen it. And fortunately he gives permission to people to take his content and use it however we want. So I do. But he says, you know, we do these employee engagement surveys in our companies and we ask them, do you feel recognized by your supervisor? 
are you given the opportunity to grow and are you professionally developed and invested in? Does your leader, you know, do, do you, are you satisfied with your pay? Is your work environment safe? Do you, and it's all these things about what somebody else is doing for me. And so he says the real employee engagement questions on a survey ought to be things like, did I do my best today to advance the mission of the organization? What did I do today to strengthen the relationship that I have with my supervisor? What am I doing currently that adds value to others inside the organization? How am I making my workplace safer? Like it's personal accountability. That's where employee engagement actually happens, not what your manager does for you. Now, those of you that have listened to me a while, you know, I got to, I could, I can argue with myself on that because there is a role for the manager to shape a path and a culture for engagement. But in the end, it does come down to the individuals. Now, my coach and trainer in coaching and my mentor, Dr. Jim Smith, who's been on this podcast before, check out episode two. Jim, when he was training me, one of the things he says is you can't coach who's not in the room. So when an employee comes to you and says, I, you know, I'm not happy because John or Susie or Karen or Bill or whoever is doing this, that, or the other. Well, they're not in the room and we can't coach them. So what's your role? What can you do? How can you make an improvement? Let's focus on me. Focus on my role, my accountability. I think that applies here. What about me? What am I doing to set the tone in this country? To demonstrate what I want to see in the world. We've all heard the cliche, be the change you want to see. Well, we can't do that if we're expending all of our energy preaching to others the change we think they should make. I'm going to say that again. I liked it. (laughs) We cannot be the change we want to see if all of our energy is expended on preaching to others about the change they need to make. Just food for thought. One of the things that I've heard in elections uh, since in memory is, uh, who can unite us, right? Here's a president that's going to unite us. They all say it in some form. Um, what if we unite ourselves? Do we need someone to unite us? What's our role? How about let's unite ourselves Is there a law against that? Is there something that's keeping us from from uniting with others? I don't know. The next concept I think is important in all this is what I call the binary trap. And that is, I'm all in red or I'm all in blue. Binary. I don't know how many, but 
there's a good portion of the 140 million people that have voted thus far in this election who are not all in red or blue. So they struggled a little bit. You know, people are individual thinkers. We have our own ideas about things. So um, let's avoid that binary trap. And let's avoid assuming that if someone thinks this, they must think this as well. If they support A, they must by default support B. That, that's the binary all-in trap. We have to lead people out of that trap. How are my values on display? That leads me to another executive coach and author who I love named Kevin Cashman. And Kevin Cashman defined leadership for us uh, for a group of, of uh, a cohort that went through one of his programs back in my United Way life. And he shared a definition of leadership with us that went like this. Leadership is authentic self-expression that creates value. Leadership is authentic self-expression that creates value. So he said it's a three-legged stool, right? It's got to be authentic. People see through superficial eventually, and they're not going to stop. They're going to stop following you once they figured out that your personhood is superficial and it's not authentic. But it's authentic self-expression that creates value. So the second leg of the stool is self-expression. It has to get expressed. Thinking it is not advancing anything. It's not leading people anywhere. You have to express it. So one of the examples might be I'm sitting at a, at a board meeting and I hear the board, I'm on the board and I'm listening to, to my fellow board members discuss something and they're going down a path and I'm sitting there going, oh, they're not thinking about this and they're not thinking about that and they're about to make a bad decision and I don't think we've thought this through, but I don't say anything. Instead, I wait till after the meeting and out in the parking lot, I'm telling people, yeah, I didn't really support, or worse than that, I'm at dinner with a potential donor and I'm telling them, yeah, I didn't support that decision, by the way. I want you to know. That's not leadership because it didn't get expressed at the right time in the right place to create value, which is the third leg of the stool. Has to create value. Now, I know a lot of authentic self-expressors. You know, I, this is what I think. If it comes in my brain, it comes out my mouth. There is no filter. I am who I am. Deal with it. Very authentic and plenty expressed, but often does not create value. Often it's destructive. It's toxic. I think in this political environment, as leaders, we have to lead the way and demonstrate that everything we think doesn't have to come out our mouth. Even if it's right. Now, hold on a minute. Our responsibility is to stand for what's right. And I get that. But everything we say doesn't necessarily create value. It doesn't inspire. It doesn't lead people. It doesn't change people. It doesn't motivate people. It doesn't shape people's thought. It doesn't teach people. Much of what we say, as right as it might be, actually has the opposite effect of what we think it should have. Come on. We see it on social media 
ad nauseum. I don't care which side of the aisle you're on. <laughs> you know, I, I this I, I see a lot of the far right, for example. Oh, the toxicity, the 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 arrogance, the I mean, I see it just it's horrible. You know, and, and the, the the idea that if you're not where I am, you're evil and you're this, you're that, you're you're whatever. Like, like, okay, all liberals are looters and rioters and killers and haters and lie, right? All liberals or all conservatives are racists and narcissists. And, and we identify with this individual, but, but that's not really necessarily the case. So the things that we say, whether it's in a meme, you know, some tweet, some tweet, or whether it's something we say in a meeting with people. Don't make the assumption that everybody agrees with you and loves what you just said. Because they're making assumptions too, by the way, about why you said it. <laughs> That'll probably be wrong. They probably misunderstand you as well. So Cashman's definition of leadership really helps give me guidance on this. Believe me, I'm plenty tempted to go out on social media and say stuff. But I, but I try to pause and go, mm, does, will this add value? It's, it might be authentic and I could express it. I have a right. I have a social media account. I have free speech. I can say what I want. I want to tell the world how right I am and how right they should be with me. But I have to pause and say, will this actually create value? Will it lift? Will it elevate? Will it advance? Or does it just further divide, intoxicate, and destroy? So before you hit send button on your Facebook post or your Twitter account or your Instagram or your email or your blog, I'm just suggesting that we all pause and say, do I need to hit this send button? Is this, is this an expression that is leaderly? that's going to move the needle in the right direction is, is this showing up the right way? I believe we can do better. And I believe that leadership is leading. We, we can't sit and wait for the leader, expect the leader, a leader to do the uniting to bring civility, we have to bring the civility. If we foster the incivility, well, then we're just adding fuel to the fire and then complaining about it. We can do better. Here's the last couple things I'll say in this episode. I say this all the time, and actually it's another Marshall Goldsmithism. <laughs> um, they're watching. Your people are watching you. Your family's watching you. Your team is watching you. Your board is watching you. Your boss is watching you. Your neighbors, they're watching. They're paying attention. Goldsmith puts it like this, that for a leader, it's always, 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 always showtime. The cameras are always rolling. You're never off when it comes to what people are watching and listening to for you. Yes, you get to take a break. You get to let your hair down. 
you get to you get to relax, you get to recreate, take some time off. But as a leader, really you're never fully off stage. Great way to think about it. They're watching. And the last thing I'll say is one of the things that I've heard a lot from really from truth through from my coachees, people I coach, is that leaders one of the most important things that leaders can do is listen. Listen. Actively listen. But instead of listening as a function of waiting our turn to speak, listen to truly understand. It's all right. It won't, it won't hurt you. you. You won't be hurt by listening. I promise but I just so disagree with what that's okay. You're allowed to, you get to disagree on much of what you hear. You should disagree, but try to understand. Just, just try to understand. I'm look, I'm preaching to myself here. I truly, this like, I am really working on this because it's human nature not to do it. By the way, it actually, it goes against the grain. It takes effort to listen, to understand because our default as humans is we know we've got this view on the inside and it's crystal clear. And we don't understand why everybody else doesn't see the crystal clarity that we see. How can everybody not see this? Who could possibly think differently than I think? How could they possibly believe this? Well, it turns out that people usually have really good reasons for believing what they believe. It doesn't make what they believe right necessarily, but it gives you some understanding into who they are and why they might think a certain way that's not like you because it's not like you. Nobody's like you. You're the only one of you. So just assume everybody else thinks differently than you do. And we have a choice as leaders. To maintain that arrogant internal view that says, I'm right. I got it. I see it. Instead of, what can I learn from you? My son and I were talking about school <laughs> and other things. Uh, we're both in school. He's in a math program at IU, and I'm, I'm in a doctoral program at Columbia International. And we talked about, uh, we share a, a, a common fault, and I think a lot of you can relate to this this experience where we're going through a particular problem, an assignment, maybe it's a math problem and we go through it. We check it. We double check it. We triple check it. We know we got it right. We're looking at it going, this is the, the book is wrong. The book is just wrong on this. How many of you have done that? Maybe not many. I don't know how many people are like me. I've done it. I've, I've just, I've looked at it every which way I can. And there's just no other way to look at it. They've, got to be wrong. And so we call the professor or we see them after class or we send them an email and we go, this is wrong. I check it. Look, A, B, C, D, you know, I did it by such and such. And the professor goes, yeah, but see, it's not A, B, C, D. It's one, two, three, four. See right here over here on the left. Did you miss this part? And you look at it and your heart sinks. You're like, Oh, wow. Don't I feel like an idiot. Here I thought I was so sure, 
so sure that my way of looking at this was the right way, is the only way. Everybody else is wrong. It's human nature. And we take it into our workplaces and we take it into our communities and our lives and we spread it. And it turns people off. (laughs) So this is my call to leaders. Take personal accountability and let's lead. Let's lead. Let's be, let's run the country. Let's be the uniters. Let's show the world and ourselves and our families and our communities how to act, how to be, how to communicate, how to compromise, how to listen, how to care, how to empathize, how to argue. Let's show, let's demonstrate how to argue and debate ideas. There's a way, it's healthy. Much of what we're seeing today among ourselves is not that. We can complain about this person, that person, this politician, this celebrity, this journalist, all we want. That's not leading. That is the jinx perspective for today. (laughs) Um, I'm I'm hitting myself here and uh, pausing to think about this for myself. All I'm asking you to do is to consider my ponderings <laughs> and whether or not they are relevant maybe to you. That's it. We'll see you next week with a much more um energizing episode. I have three incredible leaders and creators coming on the program next week. You are not going to want to miss it. Lead on folks. See you next time.